into the Word tonight, Joshua 13, if you want to turn there in your Bibles, turn there in your notes as well. What I'm going to do tonight is we're going to, we're going to read the first seven verses, and, and, and in that I'm going to kind of recap and bring us up to, to where we are. If you haven't been with this or, you know, this is your first Wednesday study in a while, kind of bring you up real quickly to what's been going on here in the book of Joshua just through the life of Joshua himself because we're going to see the Lord uh, giving Joshua yet more instruction and where they go from here many battles at this point have been won uh, much victory and yet there was still work to 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 get done so let's read verses one through seven and just start our study there it says now Joshua was old advanced in years and the Lord said to him you are old advanced in years and there remains a very much land yet to be possessed. This is the land that yet remains, all the territory of the Philistines and all that of the Gersherites, land that remains, all the territory of the Philistines, oh, excuse me, and all the Gersherites, read that line twice, from uh, Shihor, which is east of Egypt, as far as the border of Ekron, northward, which is counted as Canaanite, the five lords of the Philistines, the Gazites, the Ashdodites, the Ashkelonites, uh, the Gittites, the Ekronites, and the Avites. From the south of the land of the Canaanites and Merah that belongs to the Sidians as far as Aphex to the border of the Amorites. The land of the Gibalites and all of Lebanon towards the sunrise from Baal Gad below Mount Hermon as far as the entrance of Hamath. All the inhabitants of the mountain of Lebanon as far as the brook Misrophoth and all of the Sidians. And then notice, them I will drive out before the children of Israel, only divide it by lot uh, to Israel as an inheritance as I commanded you. Now therefore divide this land as an inheritance to the nine and half tribe and, and the half tribes of Manasseh. Now notice how this starts. It says Joshua was old. And I love it because God's word is not politically correct because God said you're old <laughs> and you are advanced in years. And um, we know Caleb, who is a contemporary with Joshua. Uh, we find out in the next chapter, he's about 85. Joshua is probably around uh, the, the, the same age, probably around 85. And uh, look at it, at this point, Joshua has been used so mightily by the Lord. He has done so, more, so much work unto the Lord. His life has been dedicated unto God. Uh, we saw him early on when, when Israel left Egypt and the Lord brought them out through, again, the Red Sea and brought them out of Egypt through the shed blood of a lamb that when they got out there in the wilderness, again, we're reading about them going into this promised land now. They could have went 40 years earlier. At this point, 45 years earlier because now they've been in the promised land for about five years. But God told them to go, and remember, Moses sent out 12 spies to go check out the lamb. And 10 of those spies came back, and they said, there's giants in that land. We're going to talk more about giants tonight. There's giants in that land. We're like grasshoppers compared to them. Yes, it's a land of milk and honey, as God said that it would be, because again, God promised that land to them, but they said the giants are too much for us. And indeed, if it would have just been them against those giants and those nations, these are warist nations that have been established in that land now for, you know, four or 500 years, indeed, they would have been defeated. But God had said, go in and I'll give you that land. 
And God's always faithful and true to his promises. They're always yes and amen. And God always does what he says he's going to do. And basically it was go in and I'll give you the land. But 10 of those spies came back and they said, no, we can't. We know Caleb and we're going to get Lord willing more into him next week in the next chapter. And Joshua, they were two of those spies that went out of the 12 and they said, no, let's go. God's going to give us the land. Indeed, he's going to go before us. We know the people listen to the 10, not the two. We got to be careful. Sometimes we listen to the majority when the minority actually has it right. It seems oftentimes that's how it is in God's word. He uses a remnant or a smaller number that's really, you know what, standing on the promises of God versus the philosophies of men and looking at things through God's eyes versus man's eyes. And you know what, as a result of that, they ended up being in that wilderness for 40 years. Um, you know, God said, you don't have the faith to go in, so you're going you're gonna to be out here, you're going to travel out here, so to speak, for 40 years. But he told Joshua and Caleb, they're all going to pass, but you two are going to go in because of your faith. And we saw over that next 40 years, and you know what, if Joshua and, and Caleb were the, the same age, they were about 40 years old at that time. But over that next 40 years, Joshua would be a faithful assistant to Moses. And one thing with Moses, we would oftentimes see, um, you know, those around him try to come against his authority. It happens quite a bit. The people continually would complain against Moses, it would seem. And there would be a miracle, and God would provide, and they'd get to the next place, and, oh, no water, and we need meat, and so forth. And they'd always come and complain against Moses. And you say, you're not complaining against me. Your problem's with the Lord. And it seemed time and time again, a plague would break, would break forth. Moses would intercede for them, again, as a type of Christ. Jesus is our intercessor. The, the, you know, the plague would kill folks. It would get put down. They go to the next place. They complain against Moses again. We even see at times his own brother and sister complaining against him, Miriam complaining against him. And remember, uh, leprosy breaks out on her at one point. We saw Korah and a whole group of uh you know what leaders rebelling and the earth opens up and swallows them up and so forth but i'll tell you joshua was moses assistant for all those times and you never read one time about a rebellion in his heart against moses or against the lord he was a faithful servant he may not have agreed of everything and how it happened and so forth but he understood his role and he did his role well unto the lord And let me tell you, after that, we know when God took Moses home, Joshua would be raised up to lead Israel. And here's the thing. If you ever want to lead well, it starts starts by serving well and following well. And he had followed Moses well, but more so he had followed the Lord well. And so for those 40 years, faithful to the Lord, faithful to Moses, faithful to the law of God. And then we come to the book of Joshua. Again, God puts him in this place of leadership, and he's faithful in that. He's probably around 80 years old at that point. Some of the people say, you got to retire. For him, it was just, I'm just getting going. God gave me these promises. I waited for 40 years, and now we're moving forward in the Lord. We saw them, first of all, again, cross the Jordan River, just like Moses put his staff down. And remember, the Red Sea split very similar with Moses. The Jordan River split. They went through. They got instruction of how to take Jericho down. They marched around the city seven times for seven days. That seventh day, they went seven times around. They blew their trumpets. The wall fell down. God brought a great victory. 
We know they had difficulties in AI that came next because of sin in the camp. God told Joshua to get the sin out. He absolutely got the sin out, dealt with the issue. God gave him victory there. They got deceived by the Gibeonites who Israel was supposed to judge and eradicate from the land. They didn't want to die, so they pretended to be someone else. Joshua, again, didn't seek the Lord in it. There's ups and downs in life. But he was faithful to the covenant they made to them and said, we made a mistake here, but we're not going to make another one and trying to cover it up with sin. We're going to repent and do things the right way. And as a result of that, there was a great onslaught of nations that came against Israel. But as they were faithful to the Lord, God gave them victory. And that's when we saw the sun even stand still to give them more time in the day to have victory over those nations that came against them. Last week, we saw that Joshua waged a long war against those nations that God said you need to take down to go into the land. And again, it was God bringing judgment on those nations because they were no longer ashamed of their sin. They were a people that were rebellious against the Lord, though they had so much opportunity to repent. And we saw last week that in total, he had taken down 31 kings to this point. You talk about a life well lived under the glory of God. He'd been a faithful servant. He's probably, again, somewhere between 80 and 90 years old. And God says, Joshua, you're old, you're advanced in years, but I got more for you to do. And all that was to get to there. I got more for you to do. Let me ask you tonight, is Jesus your Lord? Can you say amen to that? Then hear this. We are called to serve our God, to worship our God, to follow our God, to say yes to our God till the day we die. Can we say amen to that? That needs to be our aim. It might look different when I get older than when I'm younger. It might look different in the middle than it will look at the end or at the beginning. But we are called to serve our God. And you see it with the faithful patriarchs there in the scripture how they fight the good fight and they press through and they get to the end. I love what Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 6, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's my prayer for every one of us in this room, that we'd be able to say that as well. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. He says, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not only to me, hear this, but also to all who have loved his appearing. And I'll tell you, to serve the Lord, to be faithful, you have to know of the Lord's love for you so that, again, we can say, I love you, Lord, because we love him because he first loved us, and also to love his appearing, to be a people, again, that each day live for the Lord, uh, Each day, you know what, we make it our aim to make the most of it, to walk in the joy of the Lord and so forth. Uh, We should be the most joyous people around, the most hopeful people around. But above all this stuff, we love the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know this is temporary here. We know the Lord is ushering in, you know what, a new heaven and a new earth. He went to the cross to save us out of this fallen, cursed world to make the way of salvation for us and what he has for us, you know what, in eternity is glorious. 
And I'll tell you, a key in being faithful and serving the Lord is having your eyes on Jesus and loving His appearing. To say, yes, Lord, come at any time. Maranatha, come soon, Lord Jesus. And we can do that while, again, living our lives to the glory of God. This, doesn't, this, this isn't a call to be a doomsday prophet that's a killjoy everywhere you go. And you're like, Hear that? here comes that guy, let's go hide. No, it should be, boy, that guy has the joy of the Lord. And boy, look at the, the, the steadfast they ha- steadfastness they have in their walk. And they're a blessing to be around because the fruits of the Spirit are in their life. And they're managing their lives well. And they're being good stewards of the things that God has given to them. And they're looking to bless others. And yes, yes, they're, they're, there's you know, temporary, short-term planning and so forth. But more so, we recognize we have a homeland that is coming. Hebrews 11 speaks of this. All those Old Testament patriarchs, they long for that heavenly Jerusalem. That's the key in running the long race and knowing how things end. It's looking beyond this day. You know, there's an eternity coming and what Christ is going to usher in is going to blow away everything here. And I know that can be hard for us because... You know, in many ways, we're limited to what we see and what we touch and so forth. But as I said many times, this is a fallen world. If you compared it to a monopoly board, we are in Baltic Avenue right now. And what the Lord is bringing in is Park Place and the boardwalk times infinity. It hasn't even entered into our hearts. And as we'll touch on again tonight, we saw recently in 1 Peter above all that the lord himself is our inheritance and so again it is eyes on jesus and eyes on what the lord has for us and eyes on eternity and even in that that should stir us to be concerned for those around us that don't know the lord jesus christ the 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 most horrible thing in the world would be to die without christ and be subjected to an eternity in hell and that's a legitimate biblical doctrine that jesus spoke of often because he didn't want anyone to go there now listen we know oftentimes as we get older we can uh you know what start losing strength and we can you know what start having more and more difficult days but i do know this that the lord will supply the strength he will always supply the strength to match the call upon us Whatever the call is, he'll, he'll, he'll give us what we need. And again, look at that. That's, that's going to probably look different in different seasons of our life. But even again, as we get older and so forth, God is always going to give the strength needed for the task at hand. Look at to the younger man as the Lord, you know what, is expanding their ministry and so forth. God's going to supply the strength. And in fact, if the strength isn't there, that's probably because you're not where God wants you to be. Because where God guides, this is a truth that many have said, and you see it throughout the Word of God, where God guides, guides God provides. And if the provision's not there, then it's either a thing you need to wait longer, or God's not guiding you. You're going off a tangent. Think about Moses, though, in Deuteronomy 34.7. Again, and I love it because God's word, it's, it's amazing how in God's word, and it, it's one of these sayings, you know, the, the world's so foolish, and, and you know, especially today, the, the, this world has such a disregard for, for babies and children, 
It's horrendous, you know, not, not only with abortion, but, but the gross indoctrination right now and the aim to try to destroy children. All this transgender stuff, all this stuff, it is an aim to destroy children. And there's such a disregard for babies and children. And then also we're in a culture where there's such a disregard for the elderly. And even, you know, you talk about abortion over here. Now there's such a push for euthanasia. You know, and even nations. I think last year Canada boasts in that they had 10,000 assisted suicides. And in many of these hospitals uh, where, you know, people get older, they encourage them just in your life and so forth. And, and a great push in that. But here, listen, in God's word, it's amazing how oftentimes God uses babies and children. And like he said to Joshua, you're old, old people. You see it so often. And that should be an encouragement to us. And hopefully everywhere in the middle, again, we're a people yielded to him. And with Moses, again, another, another old guy. Notice what it says about him. Deuteronomy 34, 7. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, nor his natural vigor. I love, you guys know I love that word, diminished. And listen, in Moses' Moses' case, he was out leading a group of 2 million plus people, you know what, out in a wilderness, and he needed that natural vigor. He needed to be able to move like a young man, yell like a young man, you know what, get out and, and, and march and everything else, and God gave him what he needed. Now, we know these bodies are breaking down, you know what, we're, we, we know that, that, uh, you know, you, you, you get older and, and things don't work the way that they used to. And part of that should all the more make us long for the coming of the Lord because these bodies are going to get a major upgrade. But again, at the same time, hear this, God's going to supply the strength for the call upon your life. And I think we're a very blessed fellowship in that, you know, we have so many older folks in our, in our, in our church that serve. And they serve with vigor. It might look a little different. We have some folks, all they do is they come out to the prayer meetings. And I'll tell you, sometimes they even say, I wish I could do more. And I'm like, you're doing everything. Because if we're not praying, ain't nothing happening, period. And they're so faithful to pray. And there's some folks, they can't even get out of their home too often. And what are they doing? They're praying, and God's giving them a vigor to pray. They say, I can't do a lot, but I can pray. Look at better to pray than do nothing and let God move than do a lot and not pray. God always supplies the need. Now listen, side note with that, we are called to be good stewards of what God has given to us. And one thing God has given to us is our bodies. And there's many people that put way way too much of an emphasis on fitness and so forth. But the Bible does say bodily exercise profits a little bit. And it also says that we reap what we sow. And I, I've shared it many times. Uh, you know what? I, I was a drywall contractor when I became a pastor at, at uh, 28 years old. And uh, up to that point, I could eat whatever I wanted to eat whenever I wanted to eat it. Because I, you know, when you're hanging sheetrock and finishing, you're just burning five, 6,000 calories a day. Well, I became a pastor and... Though I worked hard, it looked different. And I, so I took my 30s off and gained about 30 or 40 pounds. I'd, have, I'd, I'd get winded at, at the amusement park. 
And um, I got a, some of you guys were about like back then, I get a lot of sinus infections. I was drinking uh, Diet Cokes all day and so forth. And I hit, I hit about 40 and I recognized if I do what I did from 30 to 40, from 40 to 50, it's going to be ugly. It's going to be ugly. And I recognize, look at, I, 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 I long for the appearing of the Lord, but the time I'm here, I want to be able to serve the Lord well. And part of that means I got to change some of the things that I'm doing. I need to quit drinking these sodas. I need to start drinking water. I need to get back to exercising again. Again, not out of a, a, a vanity of, you know, of, of, of uh, how we look and so forth to, to recognize I want to serve God till the day I die. And so I need to take care of my body so that, you know, and a lot of this is genetic. Some of it's out of our hands, but some of it's in our hands. And so, you know, it's just important. We want to be good stewards of, of our bodies. And again, in that, I'm not throwing a law on anyone. It's not a thing of, you know, these are, this is the church diet and that sort of thing. We, we got freedom in the Lord, amen. You got freedom to go to the gym or not go to the gym. You got freedom to eat pancakes and sausage or not. Two burritos for some folks. You know what? You got freedom, but look it. We, I, I just throw this in there as an encouragement. We want to be good stewards of our body. We want to get the rest we, we, we need to get. We, we want to try to eat well and, you know what, stay active and so forth. Um, because I know this in the days that are here, if I, if I, you know, and I don't know when the Lord's coming. He might come tonight. Come soon, Lord Jesus. I don't know when I'm going to be with the Lord. It might be tonight. But if it is 30, 40 years down the road, I want to do everything I can to be in a place where, where I've been a good steward so I got a little bit more vigor than I wouldn't have if I just kept drinking Diet Cokes all day and eating donuts and going to A&W and getting a fr- My order used to be a fried burrito, a chili dog, and an order of fries, and then a Diet Coke. <laughs> and again, if that's you, praise God. Do it under the Lord. Do it under the Lord. But I found, I found in the 40s I got more vigor than I had in my 30s. And in my 50s, by God's grace... The vigor ain't gone, it ain't gone away. And uh, I, I think 53-year-old Steve might pin 33-year-old Steve. Again, to the glory of God. Again, don't, don't get me out of context here. I'm not putting a judgment on anyone on their diets. We got freedom in the Lord, amen. But an encouragement, these guys are old and advanced in years, and they were, a, they, they, they were and you see it throughout the word, they're about the business of God. I think I always think about Peter's mother-in-law. The Lord healed her, and you know what she did? She rose up and she served the Lord. She served the Lord. So God said, I'm going to touch you so you can get up and serve me and, and, and serve, again, these disciples, my disciples. And we want to recognize that. I, I want to be in a place where I can be used of the Lord. And again, just like our facility, here, we're, take, we're, we're trying to take care of it. And we know it's going to burn one day. We, it, all this is going to go. But while we're here, let's do our best to take care of it, to be able to minister to folks, to, 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 to be able to represent God well to our community and so forth. Now, he says there's much to do. There's a lot of land still to be possessed. And again, 31 kings have, have, have gone down at this point. 
He's waged a long war. He says, but there's more to do. And he goes through this long list again of areas and kings and so forth that still need to be conquered. And he says, I'm going to drive them out before the children of Israel. I'm going to go before them in this. But here's the thing you need to do now is now you need to divide up the land by inheritance to all the different tribes. All the different tribes have an inheritance, a piece of land. And so you need to go as I've commanded you to divide that up. Now, this was in part because then from here you start getting soon into the book of Judges. And then you'll see the tribes, you know, in various areas. And plus in Joshua, we'll see it a bit too, where now it's become even kind of more localized where tribes settled in an area and the Lord says, I've got more for you, but now you as a tribe need to go and defeat these enemies. Because they begin to get dispersed or spread out there in in the nation of, of Israel and the land there. And here's the thing, some of them would be successful in it. Some of them would go out and they would take down the enemy and there'd be victories. We'll read about some of that even next week. But then others, not so much. And it's interesting, God said, I'll go before them. So you divide it out, you map this out. Uh, we got a, um, I believe is that, uh, maybe that's some, uh, the map of Jesus' ministry. But, you know, you can pull up a map and at this time and you can see, you know, where all the different tribes are. Two and a half of them are, are east of the Jordan. The others there are modern day Israel. And, and again, some of them, their, their lands expanded. Some of them moved to other places. Some of them weren't successful. But here's the key. This is huge in it. The reason that those that weren't successful weren't successful, it wasn't because the Lord didn't go before them. Because God always is true to his promises. It's because they weren't following the Lord. For the Lord to go before you, you have to follow the Lord. It's not I'm just going to go before you and whatever you do and like you're steering the Lord to where you want him to go. That's how some people think Jesus works. I'm commanding you, Jesus, go over here. And now Jesus blessed me in this. I know I'm in gross rebellion, but bless this. The Lord's going before me. The Lord goes, I'm going here. You need to come follow me. And whenever they would follow the Lord in the sense of being yielded to God, you know, being a people submitted to the Lord, being dependent upon God, being led by God, he got victory. But it was when they were following the Lord, doing their own thing, is when victory did not come. It's the same in our own life. Look at Jesus said in Luke 9.23, If anyone desires to come after me, notice here, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So in other words, it's not, here we go, Jesus, go before me. It's, Lord, where are we going? What's your word say? I want to be directed by, let your will be done. And then he says, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. That's these tribes when they were in the places. And we don't want to follow God, but we want the land God's given to us. We want to worship the idols of the nations around us. They would go and be defeated. But when they said, we want to do it God's way, you'll be seeing in the kings with the reforms and the kings that will follow the Lord, they'd always get victory. And whenever they put the Lord on the back burner and begin to go after the gods of the Canaanites, the Lord always humbled them and defeat always came. He says, whoever loses his life for my sake will save it and so if you shun him really what you're doing is shunning blessing and if you're saved and you shun him then you are inviting corrections 
from God Almighty because he'd correct these guys over and over and over again. Now, again, all that land was deeded out. Israel never fully obtained all of that land that God gave to them. But as I said earlier, God is always faithful to his promises. And in the millennial reign of Jesus Christ after the great tribulation, we know that Israel for that thousand years will fully have all of that land allotted to them under the, under the, the, the lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, if you notice there, he mentioned, um, he, does a, he, he mentions nine and a half tribes. And the other two and a half tribes, again, Gad, Reuben, and the half tribe of Manasseh, they already had their inheritance. Because, and we'll talk more about this in a minute, Moses and the children of Israel when they were the wilderness, for, for the, the beginning of that, they were kind of just moving around and so forth. But as it got closer to the time for the Lord to use Joshua to bring them into the promised land, they got into some wars out there. They got into some battles with some of those kings. And we'll talk more about that in a second here. As a result, they inherited big pieces of land out there. And these other tribes, these two and a half tribes, they started saying, hey, we want our inheritance now. We want this land now. So they had inherited land east of the Jordan. So now he's saying these other tribes, you know what, now that we're in the land, now you need to divide the land up, you know what, amongst them. You know what, in Christ, we have an inheritance of land as well. And it's not 40 acres in a Tascadero. Or Malibu, it's much better than that. Look at what the Lord said in John 14, 1. Let, your heart not, let not your heart be troubled. Is your tro- heart troubled tonight? Lord says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would not have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And, and, and notice what he says next. And this should be part of that yearning and bring yearning for his appearing. He says, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Do you believe that tonight? That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, in the way you know. And then Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, and how can we know the way? He hadn't been listening. And Jesus said to him, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So he says, I'm going away to prepare a mansion for you. He's he's not... He's not using parables here. You know, the Bible talks about, and we, we saw, we went into great detail in our study in Revelation, a new heaven and a new earth that, that, that's coming. And it's not that we're going to be, you know, in a place of needing that for our satisfaction and glory. I mean, we're, we're going to have Jesus as our inheritance. But God's telling us here again, you know, when God created man, he gave man the earth. To take care of so he even made man in a way to 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 he wired him to be able to have land and to manage land and so forth even in the millennial reign of christ the bible says that if a man plants a vineyard he'll drink from it if he builds a house he'll live in it that's oftentimes not the case nowadays because it's a fallen world and you get tyrants running countries and it seems like now they're they're they think they're running the world. God's in control. But you know, you even hear, 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 you know, the World Economic Forum. You'll own nothing and be happy. Ha ha. 
That is the, that, that would, that is the design of the devil. The, the Bible continually defends property rights throughout the scripture. The Bible talks about borders and nations and so forth. All that stuff's scriptural, 100%. And, and part of that is how when God created man, he says, here's the earth now, go tend to it. And I, I want you to have somewhere you can work on and be blessed and so forth. And we know, again, Jesus is our inheritance and we'll have all we need with God forever. But he says, I have mansions for you, a new heaven and new earth. And that's, that's something worthy to get a little excited about, is it not? And you know, the great thing about those mansions is that they'll, they'll, never, they'll never need to be remodeled. It ain't going to be, oh, what are you doing for the next 10,000 years? I've got to fix up this shack over here. They're not going to be under the curse. It's going to be good. It's going to be glorious. Now notice verse 8 through 12. It says, with the other half tribe, and these are, the, these are the, the, the tribes I just talked about. Again, these are the tribes of Israel, the sons of Jacob. And again, the, the, the people groups that came out of them, they're all Israel. There's these tribes in Israel. It says, with the other half tribe, the Reubenites, the Gadites received their inheritance. So half of Manasseh, half of that tribe, the Reubenites and the Gadites which Moses had given them beyond the Jordan eastward as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given them from uh, Aurora, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, um, and the town that is in the midst of the ravine, and the plain of Medibab, as far as Dibon, all the cities of Shion, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the border of the children of Ammon, Gilead at the border of the Gersherites, and the Mahashathites, and uh, all Mount Hermon, all Bashan, as far as uh, Salkah, all the kingdom, and now listen to this, all the kingdom of Og and Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth, and Ed-Rei, who, who remained, notice, of the remnant of the giants, for Moses had defeated and cast, uh, cast out these. And so again, those 40 years in the wilderness, they got victories over those nations. But here's the thing, and this is a principle that's true today. All those nations that we just read about that Moses defeated, they actually could have kept their land. They could have kept their land. Because really, that, that was not, again, the Lord said, you'll cross the Jordan into this land. They could have kept that land. The reason they lost that land, because as Israel's wandering around, they go to these kings and they say like, hey, we're just passing through. Will you give us safe passage? If we drink your water, we'll pay for it. If we eat any produce, we'll pay for it. If, if, if you know what, we, we, we trample someone's plant, we'll pay for it. Just let us come through. And if they would have said, okay, come and pass through, it'd been all good. In fact, those nations would have been blessed. But instead, they said, you can't pass through. You can't even pass through. And instead of blessing Israel, they cursed Israel. And as a result, a curse fell on their heads. And they got routed by, hear this, the God of Israel. There's a promise given to Abraham when that nation was birthed in Genesis 12, 3. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who cursed you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Here's the thing, you don't want to pick fights with God. God was going before them. God had made them a nation so the Savior of the world could come forth and even bless them. They could have put faith in that Savior to come. 
but instead they were anti-Christ. And instead of receiving the blessings of Christ, and again, all they had to do is let them come through and just trust in the word of God. But instead they got paranoid. They said, they're going to try to take us over. No, we're going to resist them. And a curse fell on them as a result of that. Now notice in the midst of that, and God used that for good, because in the midst of that, it says that there was remnants of the giants there. And it talks here about a king named Og. And it's interesting, in Deuteronomy 3.11, we read that this king named Og had a bed. If you're thinking, well, they're, they're just giants and that they were men of renown, you know, they were, they, they have the same stature as us, but, you know, they're, they're just renowned because it was like the Claus Schwab of the day, you know. <laughs> the Anthony Fauci of the day, you know. Giants like that. No, the, the, these were like giants. They, they were giants and, and of, of renown as well, famous, and, and they, they were brute-like. They, 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 these were the wicked men. But it says about Og uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 3 that his bed was nine cubits in length, uh, in length and four cubits in its width, according to the standard cubit. A cubit is anywhere between a foot and a half and two feet. So at the minimum, this guy's bed was 15 feet long and six feet wide. This is a giant. And Moses went out and slew him. We saw last week in Joshua 11 that Joshua cut off the, the Anakim. And we read in Deuteronomy chapter 9 that these as well were giants. We also mentioned, we saw mentioned there last week that though there were still giants in Gath. And we know David came along, you know what, years later, uh, and, you know, several hundred years later, and he killed a giant named Goliath who was from Gath. And we touched on this a bit last week. I'll just touch on it again. I, I don't want to spend too much time on it because we talked a lot about this in Genesis and even in Revelation. Before the flood, we read about giants coming on the earth. Let's just read it in Genesis 6.1. It says, Now it came to pass when men began to multiply in the face of the earth, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the daughters of men. They were beautiful, and they took wives for themselves of whom they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, for he indeed is flesh, yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came unto the daughters of men, and they, were, and they bore children of them, these were mighty men uh, who were of old men of renown. And there are several names for them, the Anakian, the Nephilim, several names for them. And just to, just to make this short, in Job, we, we, we know who these sons of God are. These, these sons of God are angels. And it seems that there were angels that didn't, weren't part of that initial fall. When we read in Revelation, a third of the angels fell with Satan when he tried to overthrow, God's, he tried to overthrow God. And it seems in this time that there, were, there, there was a temptation to the angels to come and to, to take on the, the daughters of men, so angels with women, and to come lie with them and to have offspring. And people are like, oh boy, that's getting out there. This is scriptural. And I can tell you why this is going on here in a second. The Lord was, again... We read of angels manifesting and having human-type bodies. 
In the book of Hebrews, it says, don't forget to entertaining strangers, for in doing so, some have entertained what? Angels. So these angels had this temptation, and several of them took this temptation and fell. Uh, you know, the book of Enoch, which is not part of canon, but there's a lot of historical record there, talks about them coming down at Mount Hermon. They believe that's, you know, kind of in the rabbinical writings. They think that's where they came down. And then, again, they took on these women. Now, what, what, what was this all about? Well, God had given the promise to the seed of the woman, the Savior would come. And you can follow the genealogy from Adam, again, all the way through, through, through Seth, who replaced Abel, all the way through Noah, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, all the way down to Jesse and David, all the way down through Mary. And even though Joseph was not Jesus' biological father, he was his father. And through that genealogy, the Holy Spirit overshadowed Mary, the Savior come, who was not, again, who was of the seed of the woman, but was of God the Father. So he came without a sin nature, so he could die for our sins. And Satan knew, if I can cut off the seed of man, a savior can't come, mankind will be damned and I'll prove God a liar. So as these angels fell and intermixed with women, and God even said in Genesis, there'll be war between her seed and the seed of the serpent. This hybrid got birthed, these giants, and you really look at Noah, he was righteous in his day, that had to do with his faith in the Lord, but it also had to do that his bloodline had not been tampered with by these giants. There's many believe that demons, I talked about this last week, are the product of these angels and these women. Demon, it means devil man. That they weren't men, and so, again, they're something different. They can't be redeemed and so forth. And you see it very much in the way they handle themselves and conduct themselves. And it would even give, again, the reason why God would bring a flood and completely destroy the world. Have you ever looked and go, why? You know what? Jonah went in and preached to Nineveh and they all repented. Why couldn't Noah just preach and there'd been a revival? You know what? Why wasn't there a hope for that? Because, again, that genealogy had been distorted. So God says, i got to wipe this out and do a reboot. And when I do reboot, I'm going to set a nation aside, and I'm going to tell them, don't intermingle with these other nations so you can be a pure line to bring forth the Savior of the world. And this is why, again, when they went into Canaan, God says, wipe them all out because this is an antichrist movement to try to cut off the Savior of the world and that's what we see going on with this this is why these things are talked about this is why Og specifically is talked about why the Anakian are completely or, or specifically talked about why why Goliath is talked about it's not just hey let's get a cool story for our book let's talk about a giant that a shepherd boy goes out and slays now this is God saying Satan tried to cut off the Savior of the world, but they were mowed down according to the heart of mind of God who does not want to see people perish, but knew his son needed to come to die on the cross so that sins could be forgiven and people could get saved through calling on his name. God is always faithful to his promises. Again, in Jude and Second Peter, this is commented on about these angels going after strange flesh. As I said last week, you know, people go, oh, you know, that's not really, I'm uncomfortable with this, so it can't be. It actually is. And you start getting into archaeology and so forth. All over the world, giants, bones of giants have been found all over North America, all over the place. 
Look at last thing with this. People read in the word where Jesus said in Luke 17, 28, as it was in the day of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man or right before Christ comes. And there's people say, well, does that mean there's going to be giants again? I don't believe there's going to be giants again, but that was a manipulation of DNA. And boy, there's a lot of manipulation of DNA going on. I said, oh, Steve, you're into science fiction. That's not happening. Actually, it is, and it happened back then too. I said last week the FDA just, you know, it made it, made it legal for, uh, for animals to be cloned and then that meat, that animal to be butchered and that meat sold in your supermarket. We didn't have it in the burritos tonight, so. There's cloning of animals going on. There's manipulation of DNA. There's a lot of concern with a lot of the medicines and shots today, mRNA and all this kind of stuff. I'm not saying that's the mark of the beast, but I'm telling you, there's a lot of tampering going along. And over the past few years, we showed so many videos and I talked so much about it and documented things. And, you know, we had different, different uh, you know, at, uh, sermons and so forth. That, that seems to really indicate that the mark of the beast is going to be something that alters your DNA. Because again, why would God destroy the whole world versus revive the world? Why does it say when the, in the Bible, when you take the mark of the beast, you can't be saved? And many believe that that's going to be a manipulation of your DNA to be in the image of the beast. And what will men worship when they get the mark, the image of the beast? And what was the original sin? You can be a God, you can worship yourself. Crazy times we're living in. But here's the thing. God's faithful to his people. Let not your heart be troubled. But boy, it's amazing some of the things we're seeing. Quickly here, verse 13. Nevertheless, the children of Israel did not drive out the Gershites, the Mahashathites, but the Gershites and the Mahathasites, I probably butchered that, dwell among Israel to this day. They let some of these guys hang around. They didn't drive them out. And that would be to their stumbling down the road. And here's the thing in our life. There's things that God wants out of our life. There's some things that just want to hang on. And they only get driven out when we go to war. When we say, I'm ready to get rid of this. And so I am ready to pray. I'm ready to fast. I'm ready to bring this to Jesus. Again, everyone just wants the simple deliverance from everything, right? Boy, I'm struggling. Lay hands on me. I want to be delivered. And listen, sometimes deliverance has come in that way. And other times, you know what? It's going to be a long war. And God's going to use that long war for good. He's going to teach you to be dependent upon him. He's going to teach you to pray. He's going to teach you self-controlling it. But you got to go to war with it. I talked to a, 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 an old guy the other day. And he's a guy that's... He's been a professing Christian for 50 years, and we were actually talking about this influx of false teaching in the church of trying to bring homosexuality in, into the church when God says to repent of that, and God has something better. And he said, well, I can't be too judgmental. I've struggled with pornography my whole life, and you know, I, I, I understand that. That's a struggle for many men, but it was almost like a justification, and I'm thinking, why haven't you ever gone to war against this? You're like 70 years old? Why haven't you ever gone to war? How long have you ever fasted about this? Have you ever really got in your face and said, God, I'm not going to get up until you take this from me. 
have you eradicated of your house? Or you sit around and go, oh, you know, everyone's doing it. And so, again, they didn't drive them out. And as a result, they pay the consequences. Because let me tell you, life is not found in that. It's not found in immorality. The other people, this, you know, from this guy to that guy, from that gal to that gal. And it's time to say, I'm driving it out. I'm going to get my on my face. We're going to do things God's way. And let me tell you, life is found in God's ways. But a lot of people, they don't want to go to war. They say, oh, I'm just, I'm going to live this lukewarm life over here. And, and you know what? Jesus saved me, but I'm going to go do my thing over here. You can find no life in that. And this guy, God bless him, he ain't made an impact on anything. Telling me his kids are all out there and whatnot, and kids make their own decisions and whatnot, but didn't even seem to care about it. Didn't, seem, didn't even seem to care, like kind of like, well, you know, this is kind of how it is. It's not how it's supposed to be. Don't we have victory in Jesus? But again, some people go, well, if you touch me and take it, I'm good. But are you even like, are you, you remember the one man by the pool, been there for 40 years, and the Lord says, do you want to be healed? Because some people don't want it healed. They don't want it taken from them. These, these Israelites, they got to the point where they didn't want those Canaanites to go. They started worshiping their gods and doing what they did. And it always destroyed them. Immorality destroys. 100%. And we should never say, I'll just make a concession. Lord, give us a heart to say, we will drive it out in Jesus' name. Verse 14, only the tribe of Levi, he had given no inheritance. The sacrifices of the Lord God of Israel made by fire are their inheritance, as he said to them. And so the Levites did not have an inheritance. The other 12, it's 11 tribes, but the tribe of Joseph was slashed into his two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. The priests didn't have land allotted to them. They were supposed to be amongst all the tribes to teach them God's word and to make intercession for them. And let me tell you, Jesus, we read or we're told in, in Revelation 1 through the blood of Christ, the Bible calls us kings and priests. And in like manner, look at God gives us things to tend here, but this is, again, not our inheritance. We have a greater inheritance coming. So we want to be focused on our priestly duties over temporary earthly pursuits. And I say the inheritance for them was presenting the sacrifices for the people to the Lord. And here there's a life of service unto the Lord is of greater value than gaining the whole world. And again, God gives us things. We manage things. We're a blessed people tonight. We're a very blessed people. But let's make sure those things aren't our, aim, our, our, pers- our number one pursuit, but it's the Lord. In Luke 12, 13, it says, Then one from the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And that's a lot of people's Christianity even. Lord, give me my, you know, tell them I claim my inheritance. And it's all temporary stuff. In fact, they don't even have a prayer life until, you know, they need something and so forth. And it's all about just the here and now. And I love it. Jesus said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? In other words, there's people dying and going to hell and you're just caught up with your inheritance over here. And look, there's squabbles and we bring those to the Lord. Amen. But that's all this dude was about. That's all he was about. And Jesus said, take, take heed and beware of covetousness. 
Because again, he had a heart of covetous. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Proverbs 15, 16, better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with trouble. (laughs) Now listen, verse 15 down through 23 talks about the inheritance given to the tribe of Reuben east of the Jordan. I'm not going to read all that, but I want to read verse 22. It says, the children of Israel also killed with the sword Balaam, the son of Beor, the soothsayer, soothsayer, among those who were killed by them. Now here's one thing about these tribes. These tribes that were east of the Jordan, they settled too soon. I'll come back to Beor or to Balaam in a second. They settled for less. God wanted them all to cross the Jordan. They got that land out there and they said, we want this. They settled too soon. And it absolutely would end up costing them. If you read in 1 Chronicles 5, 23 through 26, in Israel's rebellion against God, they would be the first tribes taken into captivity before any of the other tribes. Because, listen, where they were, they got distance from fellowship with the other tribes. They were the farthest tribes from Jerusalem, from the temple. And they were out with more of a, of a, of a, of a worldly surrounding around them. They, they, they were, you know, the way Israel's geographically placed, it, it, it has a hedge around it. And they were outside of that hedge. And they, again, were associated more with those nations. As the time went by, they got more and more corrupted by them. They, they settled. 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. And listen, it didn't happen right away. Corruption, corruption happens over time. And as they were out there, they just got more and more and more and more corrupt. And you know, you get in the New Testament, you know what you read about that lamb? You know what was the, was, the, was the end result of that? There was a guy out there in Gadara, Gad, and his name was Legion. A guy with 2,000 demons. Because they just, they just settled. They didn't hold out for, they didn't put a high standard. We're going to hold out for what God wants. They got eager. They got ahead of God. I tell the young people, single people all the time, don't get ahead of God. Don't get ahead of God. Oh, but I just want to be married so bad. If I just, you know, I just can link on. Don't get ahead of God. Your best bet in that is to fear God so God can bring some along who fears God. It's kind of the picture of these guys. They got ahead. And again, they were the first to go. That bad company corrupted them. But Balaam, again, early on, was rightfully killed by Israel. You can read about this guy in the book of Numbers. When they were wandering in the, out in the wilderness, uh, Balak, the king of Moab, he hired this guy to curse Israel. And I have the verses here. I'm going to go through this quick. He's the guy that, got, that, that a donkey talked to him. Like, whoa, you got giants tonight. We got talking donkeys, all kinds of craziness. Peter talks about this. Again, we'll get to this eventually, Lord willing, on Sunday morning in 2 Peter. It says that Balaam was rebuked for his iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of a prophet. Because Balaam said, hey, come, or, or Balak said, I'll pay you to curse Israel. And God said, Don't, you can't do that. He was ready to go with him, and a donkey 
prohibit him from doing it and, and, and spoke to him. He said, you're, basically, you're crazy to follow this guy. So God loved Balaam so much, he allowed a donkey to talk to rebuke him. You don't want to do this. Well, listen, he ended up going anyway through trying to bargain and whatnot. And all he could do, we read, all he could do, he tried to use sorcery against Jacob and witchcraft and divination, but all he could do was bless Israel. He even prophesied about Jesus coming in Numbers 28. In Numbers 23.10, he says, Let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his. Look, at he wanted to die righteous, but Balaam's problem is he didn't want to live righteous. And that's a big problem. So he couldn't curse Israel. They try and try and try for two, three chapters. But we do read that then he taught Balak how to stumble Israel. He says, you send your prostitutes amongst the men and they'll fall. And God will actually bring a curse on them to correct them. And he taught Balaam, or Balaam taught Balak to do that just so he could get paid. And so later on, after the sin had been dealt with in the camp, after a great plague, we know that those nations, again, were defeated by Israel, and Balaam was amongst them who lost his life. And in verse Jude, or in Jude, we are told, you know what, not to go in the way of Balaam. And basically what he did, he put greed over God. And he also, again, was a practicing witch. And I, I'm amazed with how many people say they're Christians and practice witchcraft and dabble in witchcraft and witchy this and witchy that and so forth. Let me tell you, there is no place for that in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. No place for it whatsoever. Well, look at, if you read 24 through 32, it goes and it breaks down again. The Reubenites, the Gadites, the, 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 the half-tribe of Manasseh, their land and so forth. And then I want to close on verse 33. But the tribe of Levi, Moses, had given no inheritance. And the Lord God of Israel was their inheritance, as he said to them. So again, their inheritance, Levi, the priest, their inheritance was service unto the Lord. And it was more so the Lord himself. And again, guys, God gives us so much to be stewards over. We're, ble we're a blessed people. We really, really are. I mean, look at it. We gathered tonight. I think we, about 300 people ate tonight. Had all that wonderful food back there, fellowship. I mean, you know, just, just what a, a comfortable room and so forth. We're a blessed people. Again, this is not our inheritance, though. You come into the world with nothing. I'm... I'm this might be a surprise to some people. You leave with nothing. You come with nothing, you leave with nothing. And everything that comes our way, the question is, am I going to steward this and use this for the glory of God? And look, at you, you can be blessed with things and use them for the glory of God. But I want to make my life about serving God and, again, living for God and walking with God because, again, He is our inheritance. We saw this a few weeks back in 1 Peter. Again, we have a, an inheritance 
that's incorruptible and it's undefiled that does not fade away, reserved for us in heaven. And yes, these bodies will be transformed. And yes, we're going to have mansions. And yes, there's going to be the new Jerusalem. But our, our inheritance, our great inheritance is God himself. As we read, he is our God and we will be and we are his people. We'll just close with a 2 Corinthians 6.16. And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. And God has said, I will dwell among them and walk among them. I will be their God and these shall be my people. And that's the truth. He is our God. We are his people. And we'll have, we have, we'll have an eternal, perfect relationship with him. But see, right now, right now we can walk in that inheritance. He says, therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Don't touch what's unclean and I'll receive you. I'll be a father to you and you should be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Again, he's our inheritance. We have eternity with him. But he's saying right now, if you'll come out from the world, if, if you'll say, I, I want to live for the Lord on a lukewarm life. I want to go to war against these things. I want to seek God. God says, I'll be like a father to you right now. Because there's a lot of Christians they have a, they, they're, they're saved, their faith is in the Lord, but their relationship with God is not where it should be. They're not walking in the light as he is in the light. When he says, let me be your father right now. Sin grieves the Holy Spirit. The Bible says if we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. It also says he's knocking on the door of our hearts. And a lot of people say, I don't want to respond to that knock. I'm going to be out here doing my thing and so forth. Thank you that I'm saved, Jesus. And that's even a dangerous ground to be in. Because a lot of people go say, Lord, Lord. Especially when you're like, I'm over here and there's never any correction. Oh, man. That's you. You better wake up. You better wake up. Steve, you're judging me. No, you better judge yourself. Because hell's going to be a whole lot worse than Pastor Steve saying something that might offend you. That's biblical. He says, I want to father you right now. Let the father father you. Let him father you. Partake of your inheritance now. Some of you tonight, you probably have things, you know what? Some of you tonight have things that are out of order in your life. This is a prophetic word. There's some of you that have things out of order in your life. And you're grieving the Holy Spirit. You're not allowing the Father to father you the way He wants to father you. You need to go to war. You need to go to war. You need to bring it before God and humble your heart before God. God has life for you. Don't keep walking in this death. You can't play games with God. God knows. And I think you're here in part because, again, you're wanting that. Well, then listen, go to battle. Get on your face before God and watch God come and give victory. And far better to be battling and get knocked down here or there. God will pick you up. That's part of being a Christian. But just to succumb to this stuff and to walk in it and push the Father away, that's not life. And you're not going to find life in that. You might find some pleasures. You might get some endorphins released. Eventually, that will even go away. Because we're not designed to live that way. And eventually those endorphins cease. And then that's when you wake up and you're like, what, what, am, I, what am I doing here? What, why, why have I lived my life this way? 
But the Father has us so much better. So listen, I, I say that tonight is an encouragement. I, 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 it's an exhortation, but an encouragement. Encouragement. Embrace what the Lord has for you. And God grant us all grace in it. Heavenly Father, we praise you. We thank you, God. Oh, Lord God, look at this, this, this ancient chapter in this book. It's so relevant to today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. We thank you, Jesus, that we have victory in you. We thank you for your death and resurrection. We thank you for the salvation we have by grace through faith in you, Lord. Lord, we, we, we don't want to be a people of legalisms, God. Lord, the, the law damns. Jesus sets us free. But, oh, Lord, let us be a people, God, that, that, that Lord, want to live holy lives. Not out of self-righteousness, not to look down on others, but, but to live for our God and to walk in the fullness of what the Lord has for us. Help us in that. Can we say amen to that tonight? And if you're here and you haven't called upon Christ, today's the day of salvation. Call upon the Lord. Our sin separates us from God. Jesus paid the penalty of our sins. Our sin brings death. Jesus laid down his life. When he resurrected, he defeated sin and death. And whoever calls upon the name of Jesus will be saved. That's asking him to be the Lord of your life. He'll meet you where you are. Oh, if you're in that place, call on him tonight. We bless you. We praise you. God, just bless our fellowship right now. What a a blessed evening we've had. We pray these things in Jesus' name and we said together, amen.